So today we actually have a very special episode in Think Public Health history. Uh, wow. This is actually one of my favorite professors here at the School of Public Health. You Lomelo have a School. favorite One of professor? my favorites. I mean, you gotta be careful with that. I just, this guy brings a lot of energy. He's very, you know, excitable. He keeps us all really active in different challenges and kind of motivates us, you know, physically and with our schoolwork. So I kind of really like this professor. And you're really looking forward to this episode. Really looking forward to this and episode. And you know, I think he has this challenge to learn that we're going on. Oh, well, yeah, the, yes. The Aren't we supposed to be hiking up someplace? Some Mount Fuji? Mount, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean. Yeah, I signed us up. We're all doing it. We're all doing it. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. It keeps it exciting. Yeah. So this is one of the three parts series, right? It we is. have um, Dr. Medina, as Anthony mentioned. Medina. We have Dr. Dr. Peter, Peter, Bastion. Peter Bastion. And that episode was also great. Really? Yeah. Great. And you no, have to listen. Literally. It's awesome. Yeah. And you We're have active. to listen to that episode because we can't tell you what happened, but something happened in that episode it's pretty that, exciting. that it's you know, I, I'm trying not to, <laughs> to try my best. Right. Not Stay to, tuned. Um, Stay tuned. And then we have Dr. Warren Peters. And that was a really good one also. That was. Yeah, was so one. and the topic we are looking at is obesity. Um, in all these three part series episodes. So we're kinda of like building from Dr. Medina to Dr. Bash. Yeah, we're seeing this trend in this topic, so mm -hmm. it so looks really good. So three part listening. series on obesity and we're starting off right now with Dr. Ernie Medina. Think Public Health is a podcast by students from the Loma Linda University School of Public Health, exploring the world from a public health perspective. Join us as we investigate issues in the media by talking to experts, students, and community members about the relevance of public health in everyday living. This is Think Public Health. everyone and welcome to another podcast of Think Public Health. In the studio with me I have my co-host Anthony. Hi Anthony. How you doing? Delorean. Hey Abigail. Hey Anthony. What's going on? Going well. Going well. And we have another special guest here and we have been, we're going to talk today about health coaching. So Anthony, tell us a little bit about our guest, who he is, oh sorry, where he's from and anything else. <laughs> Um, as we relate to our guests. Yes, it would be please, my pleasure. Please. Okay, so after earning a Bachelor of Science in Health Science from Andrews University in Michigan, Ernie Medina Jr. earned an MPH in Health Promotion and a Doctorate in, of Preventative Care and Public Health from Loma Linda University School of Public Health. He then went on to specialize in lifestyle medicine, including weight loss, stress management, and smoking cessation at the Beaver Medical Group in Redlands, California, while maintaining a cl clinical professor position at Loma Linda University School of Public Health. In 2014, Dr. Medina joined the faculty at the School of Public Health here at Loma Linda as an assistant professor and the executive director of the newly formed Center for Nutrition, Health, Lifestyle, and Disease Prevention. Now he's the director of alumni engagement, engagement and assistant professor in our very own Loma Linda University School of Public Health. Dr. Medina is one of the more active professors we have, and when I say active, active in academia, but also <laughs> just physically 
active, and we'll get into that a little bit later. For sure. Uh, Dr. Medina, you are dubbed around here lovingly the physical activity evangelist. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about after you finished this program um, here in uh, what was that 1993 mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your journey after that and all of the years that you spent to to even get dubbed the physical activity evangelist like how did you get that name <laughs> and what did you do after graduating here that um, got you so engaged in physical activity sure well thank you for the nice introduction anthony um yeah i i was doing an internship as part of our preventive care program and my last internship happened to be at beaver medical group for the last six months of my time here so i was doing my internship hours as well as working on my dissertation and after i was done and graduated you know graduating in june of 93 that's uh I, i was leaving beaver and they said wait, where are you going? You know, who's going to keep running all of these different programs and things that I had sort of created while I was there? And so I said, well, I am looking for a job. And so that's how (laughs) I got my job there. I sort of created it over those six months I was interning there. uh, And then I ended up staying there for over 21 years. Wow. Wow. So it was a really great experience uh, teaching in group classes and seeing uh, people, you know, patients one-on-one. And the reason I got the physical activity evangelist was because I was always trying to create uh, programming and events around physical activity. Uh, you know, we had dietitians and nurses, diabetic nurses, that kind of thing, but I was really the only person there in on the staff in the health education department that was even sort of tied in with exercise or exercise physiology and that kind of thing. And so I was always creating um, events every year, whether it was you know a bicycle trip. Uh, we did these challenges where people would do certain physical activities for a month and then they would track their, their, their exercising and uh, at the end of the month we'd have a party and see who'd finish and so we would do different trips like we went around the world one time, we went on from here to Plymouth Rock right around Thanksgiving time, we went on the, on the Great Wall of China during the, uh, the Beijing Olympics. Oh, nice. So they, were, they always had a theme to it based on what was happening at the year. So, so I was always doing that. I was inviting patients to go mountain biking with me or try some other sports and things. So that's sort of how I got dubbed the physical activity evangelist. Sweet. Just staying physical and active. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Dr. Medina, um, how did you get into public health? Like, what was the, what what caused you to join this noble, diverse <laughs> profession? Yeah, you know, that's a good question because when I was an undergrad uh, back in Michigan at Andrews University, uh, I I didn't know anything about public health at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I wasn't sure what I needed to do. I was gonna go somewhere and help my, both my parents, uh, are, or my dad has passed now, but they were both physicians. Uh, all my family was either in healthcare and some sort. So I knew it was gonna be something in healthcare, but I didn't know what until I met a, um, an alumnus here from here as well, and at the time there was a faculty, uh, Dr. Wes Youngberg, mm-hmm. was uh, also from Michigan, from Berrien Springs, Michigan, and so he would be back there visiting, and when I had got, I had just gotten back from Japan. I had spent a year in Japan as a student missionary, and so I was still wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was a med tech major back then. I said, ah, you know, I'm not really sure where I want to go. And then I talked to Wes, okay. and he told me, hey, Ernie, you need to come out and do this program. At the time, it wasn't a DRPH; it was a DHS mm-hmm. called Doctor yeah. of Health Science program. And I was, yeah. and I thought, oh well, what is that? And when he told me what it was, it was all about lifestyle and prevention and this kind of thing. I thought, oh, that sounds perfect. And so I switched my major 
from med tech to health science there at Andrews. Uh, and then, that, then I came out here in 89. So it was basically because of Wes Youngberg that brought me out here. So Dr. Medina, have you always been involved with physical activities yeah. all throughout your life and throughout undergrad and including to oh, now? Yeah. I, I was a TA for one of the PE instructors back in Andrews. Uh, so I was always teaching. I was teaching tennis and racquetball. Um, I was involved in intramurals. And so, yeah, I was, I, I like physical activity. And so I was always involved in, in something. I'm, you know, I'm not a jock. You know, I wasn't one of the, the star <laughs> athletes, but I was always, right. it was all about getting everybody active. So, yeah. That's great. One thing um, I'd like to share with our audience is one time I was talking with Dr. Medina here and uh, we were talking about just our past and we started to realize mm. we have a shared history. <laughs> That's right. His mother actually delivered me <laughs> at this small hospital yeah. in Michigan. Yes. Um, now I look in your Facebook and I see that your mother is still active, yes. you know, still doing pickleball, which we'll talk about in a bit, and you know, all these What's other that? cool activities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. and, um, can you tell us a little bit about the influence that your parents had on you oh, when yeah. it comes to like just being physical and you know, physical yeah, well, that's a good, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, both my parents, like I said, were, were our physicians, and but yet they took time to be very physically active. And so we, we like learned tennis at a very young age. They played tennis at the time. So we learned tennis. We had, of course, had a ping pong table. You know, what Filipino doesn't have a ping pong table? <laughs> and so we had a ping pong table. My dad taught me that at a very young age. And so we did a lot of tennis uh, growing up as, as junior high school kids and then in, in high school academy. And then through college, I, I did a lot of tennis and, and ping pong. So my parents were always, uh, you know, and again, they weren't jocks or anything, but they were always very physically active. Uh, and then I started getting into some cycling and that kind of thing, but it was really mostly around racket sports. So whether it was tennis, table tennis, racquetball, badminton, anything with a racket, I seemed to really enjoy doing. So good hand-eye coordination, I guess. Basically, basically. I, I, I don't have that. You know, I, <laughs> no. Well, I had to compensate because I'm not, I'm vertically challenged, and so I was never one to be picked for football or baseball oh, or okay. you know volleyball. Okay. I mean, okay. I had friends, and I would get picked eventually, but I was never good at those sports. But with the paddle or racket sports, even you know, even though yeah, it'd be nice to be taller, but it, I could hold my own okay. against even taller opponents. Cool. So, okay. Talking about physical activity. There's this mm -hmm. new epidemic called the, you know, active, what you call it, the, the uh, sitting disease, mm -hmm. right? And you're pretty active in that. Um, you actually have a term called an active couch potato, mm -hmm. which actually mm -hmm. spoke to me. <laughs> because, you know, you go to the gym for about, you know, an hour, right. hour and a half, but you spend most, well, at least I do, I spend most of the day sitting mm -hmm. and either mm -hmm. reading or at work. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, you know, I had only learned about uh, seating disease uh, shortly before I got here. So it was really new to me as well you know, before I came here. But the more I read about it and the more I was studying it, I was like, oh my word, you know, we, we sit a lot in academia, especially in academia. So when I first got here in, in 2015, I started here January of 2015, um, I, I noticed that, wow, I was walking around and I saw students sitting in, in the lab or in the classroom. I saw staff sitting at their desks all day. I saw professors sitting at their desks all day and everybody was sitting. I thought, wow. And I, after learning about this information, 
I said, I can't do that. So I, I had bought a chair. I just bought a chair uh, in, for my new office that I was moving into, but then I also bought a standing desk. And uh, so ever since then, I've been using the standing desk most of the time. And the active couch potato comes in part because there was some research that came out that showed even if you do your recommended hour of activity uh, a day, but then you sit the rest of the time, you're still at a fairly high risk for you know, some of the diseases, whether it's uh, cancer, heart disease, diabetes. So that, that uh, one hour of exercise doesn't offset the other 18 plus hours that you're awake being sedentary. And so I, I use the analogy now in the nutritional world, I use the analogy of you know, eating a junk food diet but taking a super multivitamin to offset that. Mm. You know, is there a pill that would offset a junk food diet? No, of course not. But that's basically what people are doing is that, oh, I did my exercise and they pat themselves on the back, which is good, but then they're sitting all day. So it's just like, well, you're just, it's like a junk food diet, that one 30 minute. And that, and that, that really shocked me because I thought, oh, I'm doing good. I exercise every day, you know, and so I, it's okay for me to sit and it's not. Mm. Interesting. Well, Dr. Medina, I know you have this exciting new program that you want to yes. share every, um, with us. Um, and you were telling us a little bit about it, health education mm -hmm. and coaching. And I know DeLorean, Anthony, and I as healthcare professionals, we've always found this um, issue. We're trying to give clients new information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're giving them all this good information <laughs> and then they come back and follow up and they haven't made one single change. change yes so tell us about this new program and you know just share it with the audience sure sure well you know I'll, I'll, I'll set the context of how this program or at least I got involved in it so when I when I graduated and went to to Beaver Medical Group uh, back in 93 part of what I did was was of course teach classes so that's you know that's a standard thing but then I also worked with patients one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two -on if it was like a couple, or even a family, one-on the family. But I would work with them and meet with them, like let's say for example, if it's for weight loss or mm -hmm. if it was smoking, I would meet with them after they did the classes and then I would meet with them one-on-one -on -one for follow-up. And yeah, you know, in the beginning I thought, oh man, here I am, I got all this latest information, I have all this wonderful news, they're just going to magically start changing because I'm such a great speaker up front and funny, they're just gonna wanna change. And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe some of them did initially, but guess what? You know, it, it life life would hit the fan, or something would happen, and they'd relapse, or they wouldn't they wouldn't fully adopt it. It wouldn't go long term. So over the course, probably in my early years, it was very challenging to do lifestyle change with these with these folks because, you know, I couldn't be like, you know, like uh, the Biggest Loser, right? Where you got them sequestered in a place, and they've got their trainer, and they've got their cook, and they've got their you know, psychologist right there. And even those guys, right? After they leave, how many of them regain the weight after they've right. left the show? So it's like, wow, what can I do when I'm only seeing them for follow-up once a month, mm -hmm. you know, after a class is done. And so so over the time, I, would, I, I started learning about, you know, motivational interviewing, um, health coaching principles, and, and, and I sort of had, it was almost from the school of hard knocks, because I didn't have that many, I had one motivational interviewing class when I was a student here. And other than that, it was your basic traditional, you know, lifestyle disease reduction or health promotion, educational program planning. I mean, it was all pretty standard public health stuff, but um, not a lot of stuff on actual the behavior change part of it. And what I learned over the years, especially the earlier, is that information is not enough. Because if it was just about information and giving them the information, whether it's in a brochure or on the internet or a, a book or something, it doesn't, it wasn't enough to change behavior, especially long term. So I sort of had to sort of develop 
some of the techniques and strategies on my own just because things it wasn't working like I thought it should. And it wasn't until I actually got here to Loma Linda in 2015 uh, that they were saying, hey, you know, we're looking at the, doing this health coaching thing and we want some people to get certified. So I was in the very first group of, of some of the faculty here that got certified along with other people from other departments. And when I went through that certification process, I was like, wow, this is stuff I've been doing all along. I just didn't know it had a name. Okay. And, and then that, that was the sort of the, uh, the impetus for changing our MPH and health education to health education and wellness coaching, which I was all for because I said, hey, we've got the education part down. You know, we've been creating programs all, you know, for decades, right? We, Adventists were the first ones to create the first quit smoking program, right? Mm -hmm. We've got cooking programs and, you know, stress management programs. I mean, we have all kinds of programs, but why do we still have a growing problem in lifestyle disease and, and all? And so the, I was really excited to see us and the administration wanting to modify the health education program, the MPH, into health education and wellness coaching. So that way they, they get both the informational part and then the coaching, the coaching part. So what would you say are some of those real life application problems in terms of motivation and change mm -hmm. behavior long term? How can a public health uh, practitioner overcome some of those challenges in real life in terms of physical activity? Okay, yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, if you're trying to help somebody change their lifestyle, whether it's in physical activity or eating better or quitting smoking or something, one, one of the things that we talk about is that you know, it really has to come from within them, right? Intr we call that intrinsic motivation and all this kind of thing. Uh, and so uh, the difference between what I would say is a public health expert and a health coach is that the expert, uh, and, and here on Loma Linda, we train everybody to be experts, right? Medicine, dentistry, nursing, public health. We train them to be experts. And so an expert is the one that gives you the information, that gives you the knowledge. And then, they, then the patient is supposed to comply. But a health coach doesn't do that. And so one of the things, if you have a lot of training, whether it's in nutrition or public health or health education, one of the challenges is we, we talk about how we have to almost bite our tongue because we want to give them the the answer, the solution right away. Whereas a health coach is sort of works like a partner side by side them and helps them to sort of peel back the onion, peel back the layers of the onion to find out, okay, really what is going on deep down inside, why they aren't doing this or why they aren't doing that have them sort of self-explore, come up with the answers on their own, and then encourage and support them. So I'll, I'll give you an example, because I know that sometimes that's like, what do you, you know, what do you mean, like, we don't tell them anything? Yeah, break it down for us. <laughs> so let's say for example, okay, a common example would be, I, I'd be working with a mom, busy mom, three kids, um, she's, she's chauffeuring them around, right? And, and bring him to piano lessons, and ballet class, and soccer practice, right? So she's basically a chauffeur. So, in, and she says, oh, I just don't have time to exercise. I'm just driving and I'm busy all the time and I, I just barely can, you know, I can keep up. So in talking with her and, and listening to her, find out that they have soccer practice Monday and Wednesdays in the afternoon for an hour and a half at the field. And then all the parents usually just sit there at the field while their kids are playing soccer. Okay, and it's, at, it's inside the field of a track, all right? They're sitting there. So as a exercise expert or a preventive care specialist, I'm thinking in my head, what, what, so what would you think right away that, oh, well, this is what I could tell the mom to do. Kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, do what? So what would, you, what would you tell her or what would you want to tell her to do? Get out there and get active while her kid is at practice. Sure. I, and I've done that many times. I say, well, you know, that's great. You can walk around the track right. while your daughter's there so you can still keep an eye on her, but yet you can still get your exercise in, right? 
Uh, and so that's what I would have I would have done in the beginning. Just say, well, here's your answer, and she might say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, okay. But a health coach doesn't do that. We had to talk with her some more, ask her some questions, you know, sort of figure out, okay, well, what does she like? What does she not like? What would work? What not? And then, then if she comes up with the idea and says, hey, you know what? While we're sitting there with my friend talking, we could actually get up and walk the track. And then you say, wow, that's a great idea. See, so then her chances of doing it and maintaining that are going to be much, much higher. But that's hard for us because we, you know, I've heard the scenario a hundred times. So I know the answers, but it's not about me knowing the answers. It's about you finding the answer for yourself, that what works for you. And that's also the other thing too. I may think I know what works for Anthony, but I, you know, unless I ask him questions and really know what, what makes him tick, telling him what I think he should do may not be at all what he should do. And so that's where health coaching comes in is to try to find that out. And then there's times when I could make suggestions about what to do, but in, in general, we try not to give the solution right away. And that, that can be very difficult for somebody who has a lot of information. In a couple of years ago, I actually was a health coach you know, ah. before I started um, my school here. Okay. And we, it was actually with the Rite Aid Pharmacy. So they had this program called the Rite Aid Health Alliance. And what they did was they had in every different, um, well, not every different, but in some of the pharmacies, they had a pilot program where um, you were inside, you had your own office inside of a Rite Aid pharmacy, mm. and you did health coaching oh, nice. with yeah. um, different patients from different physician groups that, okay. that we partnered with. And what I noticed was in some of these offices, it was going great. Mm. Yeah, you know, everything was going great. And in other offices, it, uh. you're probably seeing like one patient every three weeks. Okay. So, and some you're seeing 10 patients a day. Mm. And what we found out was the difference was when the physicians, when the providers referred mm -hmm. their patients mm -hmm. to the health coach, everything went great. Mm. So that it was just that connection between the provider mm -hmm. and the health coaching because they would come in and they would sit down sometimes and say, are you you're a registered dietitian? Well, what's that? Are you a doctor? Mm -hmm. now, but when the doctor was on board, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. when um, things really went well. What, uh, just looking at this, you know, because I'm sure things have changed since mm -hmm. I was a health coach to now. Mm -hmm. um, how is the arena for health coaching and in just public health mm -hmm. and healthcare mm -hmm. in general? Like, how is it for health coaching? Oh, now? Why is it? Yeah. Oh, man, it's a great. I mean, it is it is very exciting because, mm -hmm. you know, what are our top ki killers in our country? Right. A lot of them, the top 10, Not the majority true. of them are lifestyle related. Right. Yeah. And the way the healthcare is, is going, I think we're spending now just over $3 trillion, right, in our yeah. healthcare alone. And the majority of that is spent on lifestyle-related diseases. However, we're spending it on, what, surgery and medication. And that doesn't change lifestyle. And so the system and the medicine knows that if we continue on this path, it's going to crash and burn. So health coaching now is becoming recognized as a very, a very powerful um, player or team partner on the healthcare team because they know, okay, the, the doctor doesn't have time, and right. the, or the nurse practitioner, whoever, they don't usually have time to spend that a health coach could do or a health educator could spend. And so that's why at Beaver it was great because we had the primary care, you know, you talk about the referral, we had the, the provider, the primary care provider, PCP we called them, in the system. And you know, it was a typical HMO, health management organization type of, of office. And so they only had five or 10 minutes with each patient. 
You know, they had to sort of get him in and get him out, get him in. But then they would say, oh, you know, okay, I, I can't spend all this time. I can't spend a lot of time with you, but I'll refer you down to Dr. Medina, uh-huh. and then he could spend all the time. And they were like, oh, oh, okay. And so when I had that kind of support, so we, we could spend the time. And so health coaching now is sort of in that same way. And in fact, just a couple of months ago, last year, the, they, they came out with a, a health coaching code for IC, you know, the ICD codes. They came out with ICD codes specifically for health coaching. Mm-hmm. So now the next step is now, well, well, insurance is now, how do we get the insurance to actually pay for those codes and all that? But the first step was to actually get a code because yeah. there was no code for it. So I think the sky's the limit for health coaches because, they, because healthcare knows we need this kind of, of um, healthcare provider that can do, that knows how to and can take the time to work with these patients to get the lifestyle changes long-term that we need. So I, the sky's the limit in my mind. Awesome. Um, so, well, let me think about one. How do you deal in terms of health coaching? Because I know sometimes as a dietitian, when mm-hmm. persons come to me, they want a diet plan. Yes. You yeah. know? <laughs> and we don't work that way anymore. Yes. You know, And they seem like they're very disappointed that you're not telling them exactly, yes. go do this, go do that, go yes. do the third. And so how do you bridge that gap between the patient's expectations and the best outcomes or the best practice in terms of health coaching? That's an excellent question um, because you, it's, it's, part of it is it's almost like a retraining of the patient, right? Yeah. Or the client because mm-hmm. um, they, like you said, they have certain expectations. They think, oh, you're just going to give me a, a diet plan or something. So I think it's, it, it's, it, would take a con- it takes a conversation in the, in the upfront. In health coaching, we talk about, I, I teach the health coaching class here in the summer, and we talk about establishing the relationship, you know, even coming up with a contract, okay. and really laying it clearly what, is the ex, what are the expectations of the coach okay. and what are the expectations of the client. And, if, and then you can give the option, and obviously you give them the option, that this is how we're going to work together, and then it's up to the client or patient to say, well, okay, you know, and you can tell them why you feel this is a more effective way than just me giving them a, a diet plan. Uh, and if they're they're willing to do that and accept that, then then you know it's all up front. Then they'll be more likely to do it. Whereas if they thought, oh, what, what is this, you know, and then you sort of surprise them, then they're going to be sort of resistant. So I think it's that first appointment is critical in setting the stage. What are some of the most uh, effective ways in health coaching that you've seen that helps people kind of break down their barriers? I know for me, like one thing I saw was um, there was a registered dietitian who mm-hmm. was a health coach, and one thing she would start off the different sessions with is she would tell her patients to imagine yourself in five years from now. Oh yes, yes. And just if everything were to go right, mm-hmm. right now, like how, like how do you envision yourself? Mm-hmm. And then she would go from there to say, how can we get to that mm-hmm. point? Mm-hmm. Like, what is something that you've noticed? that has really been beneficial in helping people to kind of break down their barriers. You know, I, and that's a good one. We, we talk about that kind of visioning mm-hmm. statement uh, and getting them to see yeah. that kind of, that's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, it, I guess for me personally, it's, it's, it's been active listening, practicing active listening skills because I'm the type of person who my brain is going like a gazillion miles an hour ahead of time. And to, and, but I remember when I was an intern as well as then got my job at Beaver, my first director there, she was uh, the best listener I have ever met in my life. When you were there talking with her in her office, she would just sit there and just look at you and you could tell both verbally and non-verbally that she was 100% focused in on you. And, and physicians, staff, 
you know, everybody would come and talk to her. She was sort of like the, the you know, they would come and talk to her in her office, you know, to share this and that. Because she was such a great listener. And so for me, I've had to learn that um, because it's hard for me to just, I always wanna, I'm always on the go. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking about the next thing. And if you're talking a long time, it's sort of like, oh, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say. And so I think for me, I had to really, I had to really keep practicing and learning the active listening skills and being really focused because then that's the thing that, that that's what you're trying to get your, you know, get from your, your client or patient. So that's, that's what I've had to active really work listening. on. So switching gears just mm -hmm. a little bit here, I want to talk a little bit about your, your experiences with Exer Games. Oh. Yeah, Exer Games, okay. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. And for those who don't know what Exer Games are, explain that just briefly okay. for yeah. us, please. So Exer Games or Exer Gaming or Active Gaming, those are some of the different terms. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I was while I was at Beaver, we started, actually I had an intern help me start this and then we continued on after she left. We started a, a pediatric obesity program. Uh, it was initially called Kid Fit, but then when I realized that parents were just waiting in the in the parking lot or <laughs> sleeping in the room while the kids were there I changed it to family fit because it involved the whole family not just you know the the kids so so we had a program called family fit and of course these are kids that are overweight they're referred by their their pediatricians and of course they they're very good at electronics and video games but they they don't usually like physical activity because they're already overweight it's really hard for them they're, they're picked last right nobody wants them on their team it's very embarrassing, they hate the locker room, you know, all these kind of things that are associated usually with PE and physical activity. So um, that was about the time when the Wii was just coming out and there was an iToy that was already out, but you know, not many people knew about it. So I started incorporating uh, some of these games into our family fit class. And so we would, we would uh, you know, have the usual didactic kind of information and then the latter half of the class was exercise time. And since we didn't have a playground, we didn't have a gym, we didn't have any, we had a parking lot, but it was usually too busy, so it's dangerous to you know be out there. We would just clear the space in the conference room and then set up these. We had these TVs and, and you know Xboxes and Playstations, and then we would have them play these video games. And it was really amazing to see because they'd be playing, you know, um, a boxing game or uh, Wii tennis or Dance Dance Revolution, and they'd be sweating. Their faces would be red, and then I'd say, "Okay, guys, sorry, it's you know, class is up, time to go." And they'd be like, "What? No, we gotta do one more game, one more game." You know, if we were going out running laps, you know, they'd be, they'd be the first ones to say, "Oh, you know, let's let's stop." So, so that sort of sparked like, "Wow, this is getting them active." And so, right about that time, the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation had just come up with a ten-year grant, and so I got involved with them through some other uh, sort of a collaboration with some other universities, and we actually had a. A grant, and we were we had a whole conference called uh, Games for Health that I sort of helped to, to sort of get going, and so it was it was all about how do we use video games for health, and a journal came out of that, and that journal is still actually going on. The conference is done now because it was only funded for ten years, but there's research there's still research going on. I there was a physical therapist guy, a, a doctoral student here, that I was on his um, dissertation committee because he was using the Wii board as a balancing stand and using one of the Wii games to see, to sort of see if that was effective, a, a substitution for using that versus having the patients come in to balance a test in this big oh, okay. phone booth size thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, um, that's, you know, that's sort of what we, we got in. We, we, had, we had fun with that for like about 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. and then I moved on to something else. 
Yeah, so, oh, go ahead, Anthony. Oh, yeah. just, uh, I was just gonna ask about, um, we recently, the CDC uh, recognized the Diabetes Prevention Program here. Oh, yes. Loma Linda, and you're uh -huh. one of the program facilitators yes, yes. for that. Can you tell us a little bit about the Diabetes Prevention Program? And yeah, the, D, the Diabetes Prevention Program, or DPP as we call it, is for pre-diabetics. So these are people who are not diagnosed as a diabetic yet, but they're close. And so it's a CDC, it was a CDC-created program about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, but it's out now, and, and there's a lot of good research on it. And so we applied to do that, and then we had to go through a probationary period to, to get that official status. And so it's a year-long program, and we have to, you know, we get the clients and we get them for a whole year, and it's all, it's all lifestyle change. We don't talk about medication so much because they're not diabetics yet. So we don't have to worry about insulin or meter readings or anything. It's all strictly strictly um, um, lifestyle change. So it's so, a good program. So Dr. Medina, before we wrap up, because okay. we're running out of a little oh, bit of time, okay. uh, we have to talk about pickleball. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> and um, We just did pickleball in the DPP class last, uh, last week. Oh, cool. Right there inside For the those Collins. who are listening, briefly explain the concept <laughs> behind pickleball. So pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the country. If you don't know that, that's that's what we all they, they say. But pickleball is basically on the size of a small, it looks like a small tennis court, and you have a ball that's like a plastic ball, like a wiffle ball, and the paddle, which is, looks like an overgrown ping pong paddle without the rubber on it. And then you hit the ball back and forth over the net. Usually we play doubles. And so it's just basically hitting that ball back and forth over the net. But it's really interesting because it has aspects of tennis, aspects of ping pong, aspects of badminton, aspects of even racquetball in it. And because I like all those sports, this is one sport that sort of has aspects of all of those. And so, it, you know, my mom, who's now 81, she was the one that introduced it to me. Awesome. And so when I was back in Michigan visiting her, and as soon as she said there's a paddle ball, I said, okay, I'm in. And I tried it, <laughs> loved it. Came back here to Loma Linda, couldn't find pickleball happening in a 60-mile radius here, so I bought my own net. They make these portable nets that you can set up anywhere. I've set them up in a hotel lobby. I've set them up in, on parking lots. I've set them up in hallways and gyms and whatever. We set up at, the, at Loma Linda Tennis Court, and I had like eight people, friends, come over and try this out. This was the summer of 2016. And to make a really long story short, now we, we have, from that eight, it just grew. Drayson Center added 26 pickleball courts on their thing from oh, wow. none because they saw the, the, the growth of it. And now in this area, Yukaipa um, has probably a couple hundred people playing there. Mm -hmm. uh, Redlands has a couple hundred people playing there. Riverside has a club that's active and they probably have a couple hundred people playing there. Grand Terrace uh, at my church, we have six pickleball courts in the back. Wow. And so that's a growing club that's new. So we went from eight to probably close to seven or 800 people playing of all ages, from 10 years old up to, the oldest player we have right now is, um, there's two ladies I know of, one is here and one is in Redlands, and they're both 86. Oh, wow. And so it's really, and so you, know, you talk about physical activity evangelists, I thought, man, I wish I had known pickleball back then, <laughs> because I would have gotten everybody playing, and it's yeah. been around for, well, it was born in 1965, the same year I was born. Oh, wow. So I know the birth year of pickleball, because it's my age, 55. So it's been around a long time, but it's been sort of, you know, not many people knew because they didn't have the equipment until the portable net was invented. Because before you had to play in a school. Okay. You know, the size of the court is a badminton court. 
So you could take the net, right, of a badminton court and lower it down. Mm -hmm. So that's why schools did it. But outside of schools, it was hard until they invented that net. And now that net, you could set it up anywhere. And then if you look at the growth, it just went, it's, it's gone vertical and it's still going vertical. So I look at it as a public health uh, intervention. And we actually have our first doctoral student who's doing her dissertation on pickleball. I think oh, it's the wow. first dissertation ever on pickleball anywhere. And, I would uh, imagine so. So uh, <laughs> in the, in the, we, she needed 500 participants in her, you know, for her sample size. Mm -hmm. And within the first 24 hours of putting it as an online survey, we put it out there to the pickleball community. And uh, we had over 600 wow. do the survey. And by the end of two or three days, we had like 1,400. So oh, she wow. was oh, wow. she, she was ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, she was like, okay, that's good. So yeah, it's exciting to, to actually research and there's a tournament coming up. Yes, oh, uh, February 23. Well, there's two tournaments, I should say. Okay. February 23 is our, our tournament here at Loma Linda. We do that, the winter games, we do that. We usually have about 180, 200 people playing. It's a one-day tournament on Sunday, all levels, all ages. Then on March uh, 8 is the Loma Linda Homecoming Pickleball Tournament, the third annual. And I'm trying, and I've invited all of you guys. I've been trying to get Anthony to come and play, <laughs> but he's always avoided me for some reason. But um, he's going to do it this year, right? I'm putting him on the spot now. Um, my, la my, nu my new nutrition group from DPP this last week, they all want to, they all want to do it. I heard, yeah. You heard, I you heard. heard. Yeah. Two of them actually are from Seattle. And they, they, one, one, um, one student, Anna, she actually has a pickleball court in her backyard. Oh, my goodness. So when I heard that, I'm like, oh, man. You know, so they're all, we're all going to be doing a, um, a, a training session. Dr. Sabate plays with us. The dean has played. Now she only likes to play privately, but she has played pickleball. Um, so, Marshak. Dean Marshak. And she's actually really good. I, I have video footage as proof. I've seen. Okay. I've seen. I so she's good. So you guys have to encourage her to come out because she's very shy about her athletic abilities in this, but she's, she's actually really good. That sounds fun. Sounds I, fun. I could definitely see why they call you the physical activity evangelist. <laughs> and, and, and one thing I, I just have to say that I've noticed is like, especially when it comes to public health, you have to be public health and physical activity kind of have to be creative mm -hmm. and innovative. And just from you, I think you're talking about the act of standing and pickleball and all these different approaches. Um, you just have to be creative in how you implement that physical activity portion mm -hmm. in public health. Is there anything, any type of advice kind of that you would give to our audience, especially our public health audience, mm -hmm. on just best practices to incorporate physical activity in public health? Oh, that's a good question. I would say, you know, think outside the box. I always like to think outside the box and then network as much as you can because I, I'm, I'm a lifelong student. So by networking and being involved in conferences, being involved in special interest groups, um, by doing that, that's, that's how I got into the whole extra gaming world. And you know, I wasn't a, I'm not a video gamer. My parents never let us have video games. So I, that was all new to me, but because I was networking and willing to think outside the box, when people say, what, video games to get kids active? I mean, what is that? Now it's pickleball, they're like, what's that? You know, that sounds weird. Pickles, you eat pickles and you play? But you know, yeah, so I would say be brave. Don't, don't let people discourage you and, and go for it, you know? And then think outside the box uh, and then and network because that's how you learn. Uh, from from other people, well, I don't claim to have all the answers, and uh, so I'm always learning from my students, from colleagues, from from all the experts out there. And then number one, and then the final thing is have fun. Yeah. If you're not having fun, 
then the patients are going to see that. You know, we're, you know, who's want to get involved in something that's sort of boring and dry? So I, so I tend to be a little bit crazy. You know, right now it's sort of cold. I wear crazy tights. I play ball at night. Um, people say, oh, my God, you wear what? <laughs> oh, my God. But, hey, you know. It works. Well said, well said. Thank you so much for your <laughs> sure. time today, Dr. Medina. It was a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you. Thanks thank for your you time. so much. And everyone, thank you all for listening out there. It's been another episode of Think Public Health. I want to thank my lovely co-host, Abigail here, and Anthony. Shout out to Marcus in the background. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of Think Public Health, brought to you by the Loma Linda School of Public Health students. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> Bye.